I'm going to read out of Psalms chapter 4. You're welcome to turn your Bibles there. Also, you could uh, look at it on the screen. And I want to thank you again for being here. And if you are a guest and it's your first time here, we're honored to have you. Uh, how many of you, this is your first time here? Let me see your hand. First time. I can see in the auditorium a few. God bless you. You, you. Give them a round of applause, a few first-time visitors. We're honored that you're here. Be sure after the service, we have some cool stuff out there, but that Welcome Center, uh, you can go there and they've got some stuff for you as well. But we're honored that you're here today and thank all of you for coming. Like I said, your week will go better because you spent time in the house of the Lord. In Psalms chapter 4, this is really about igniting hope, and we've been talking about Psalms 1 through 6. I'm on Psalms 4. Last Sunday, Jennifer did an amazing job uh, in the difficulties. Didn't she do awesome? I heard it was, man, working through those issues. And for those of you that are here with the sound, but they got it, they got it, uh, they got the anointed woman of God to take it over. So that was good. And uh, I appreciate that. I was ministering in, in, uh, Santa Cruz area and uh, lit it up for the Lord there and uh, still they want me to come back but I refused I said I'm here to be in Stockton don't tempt me Psalms chapter 4 it says hear me when I call O God of my righteousness you have relieved me in my distress have mercy on me and hear my prayer let's pick it up at verse 4 be angry and do not sin meditate within your heart on your bed and be still Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up your light. Lift up your light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that there's grain and wine that have increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I want to talk to you this morning about truly igniting hope and dwelling in the midst of an uncertain time. And you can be safe and at rest because of the hope that God's put in your heart. And you can give that hope out to others because of what God can do through you and in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. Let every person at the sound of my voice and every person watching, let them, be, let them be encouraged today and strengthened today and changed by the day. And God, let the vision of 2020 start to connect our lives together as a family, a church body, that people will truly engage in and connect into this ministry and this body and me and my family and all of our families that are represented here. God, let their heart, our hearts be knitted together to see that there is a cause and a movement that you want to birth here, not a church service, not just another church in a community, but you want to birth something supernatural and you want to do it soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's hope for you and go ahead and sit down. <laughs> there is hope for you. Some of you, I don't know. But I think there's something so important about having hope within your heart. Do you know that you'll never rise higher than the hope that's in your heart? You will never rise higher than the hope that's in your heart. That's why we try to have something every day in our community for people in this city. And I think that's important. Not only do we sponsor things around the world with Christians United for Israel for the cause of Zion's sake and our partnerships with Convoy of Hope that feed and, and clothe people and give water. We, we often don't talk about all those things, but that's what we do on an international scale. But do you, do, do you know locally every day we have something happening in our community? 
Do you know Monday morning's prayer, 7 to 8, right here. Tuesday evening in the church here, Pastor Brad, the men getting deeper and connected with God and each other. Every Tuesday night, 6.30. Wednesday night, Pastor Marie, 6.30 with women are having an amazing time. And then Thursday night at uh, at here at the church, we have our youth night, our common ground with Kyler and, and his wife, Jessica. I had the privilege of marrying them uh, recently, and they're doing a phenomenal job with our youth. That's Thursday. Friday, Oasis Cares is out on the streets. Uh, we're going to be launching and coming up soon, five days a week in the community. You'll hear about us becoming a food bank, literally becoming a food bank and what God's doing uh, in the midst. We're getting all the paperwork and all. We've got to get the facilities ready, but you're going to hear about that. But then the city center. 19 hours a day, six days a week, open, something for somebody every day could happen. And of course, the house of the Lord on Sundays. And one of my thoughts is we've got to be able to catch this vision in our hearts so we can learn to invite people to church. Because if you know anything about me and anything about my family, but first thing you've got to realize is that my life is wanting to help and reach people. No matter what it takes. If people like backgammon, we're going to build backgammon center. If they like hockey, I'm going to do something that has hockey in it. Whatever it takes to reach them. But there should be something in the heart of Oasis that has hope in their heart. Because you cannot give what you do not have. So there has to be something within us that understands the principle of saying, my church, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my pastors. I'm proud of this church. I want people to come to my church. I want to invite people. My pastor hates empty seats. It absolutely drives him crazy if there's empty seats because it means a soul might not get to know Jesus and might not get to go to heaven. So I have to have this within me to put it in me, not religion, but spirituality. Not religion that digs them with rules that says, you need to come to church. Why haven't you been? Where are you? None of that stuff. But something within them that says, I have hope, and I have hope that I, that I, that I have, and I want people to have it. So I invite people to church. I don't let a day go by. I will, I'll pick them up. I'll bring them. I'll get my car. I don't need to be paid for it. This is what I was made for. There's something about igniting hope in other people, but you can't give what you don't have. It's got to be within you. So there's got to be something in this next year and something as we go forward. If I'm going to make a commitment to this city and if I'm going to make a commitment to stay in the course, not, not leaving and starting other churches and saying, hey, y'all had your opportunity. The hour of visitation of 10 years of being here is left us and I'm moving on to greener pastures. But what I've realized with greener pastures, they're greener because there's more manure over there. And you have to realize if the grass is not being green, then you've got to cultivate it and water it. And so what I'm going to propose and what I'm going to do here in these next months and coming up here, I'm going to start watering you better. I'm going to start giving you more vision. I'm going to start being redundant in the vision. I'm going to share it over and over with video and opening up the channel, the streaming channel. So you'll have each and every day an opportunity to understand who you are, who we are, and what we're about and what we're called to do. So you will not lump us in with every other denominational church in a community and you'll realize there is is a difference and the difference is Jesus the difference is a supernatural encounter with God that can happen because we believe and we're ignited with hope this is David David in Psalms 4 is literally given us an evening prayer and in this evening prayer you have to know the backdrop because Psalms chapter 3 was about trouble trouble was coming and it was the day after but this is a continuation of that Psalms 3 prayer but it's really an evening prayer it's later on in 
the evening. Many people don't know that, but that's what's happening here. Because there's areas in all of our lives where we face battles. Battles in our health, battles with our emotions, battles with our business, battles with our finances, battles with our children, battles with raging emotions, battle with addictions. Some people, they've been humiliated by one addiction after another. They claim that they can beat it, but it just keeps on beating them. How many of you have faced a battle where it seemed to get the best of you? Can I see your hand? The rest of you are lying. All of us face these, these battles, and, and that's what David is facing. He's facing a battle. Now, get this in your mind. He's at the campfire. His pen is in his hand. He's writing Psalms 4. It's an evening prayer, and there's so much hope in this that I'm going to show, you, show us this morning that it just is exciting because it's an evening prayer. The circumstances are this. David is in full flight from Jerusalem. His son Absalom has seized the throne and he's gathered an army of almost 30,000 men that want David dead. They don't want to kick him out of Jerusalem or Israel or the king of Israel. They want him dead. It's bad enough when one person wants you dead, but when an army of 30,000 want to take your life led by your own son, it's really a bad situation. In the day of battle, can I encourage us this morning? I encourage you to do what David did. He surrounded himself with mighty men. If you're a woman today, surround yourself with, with mighty women. If you're something else, I don't know what you are, but either a man or a woman. But surround yourself with mighty men. And if you're a woman, surround yourself with mighty women. Here's the campfire. David's there. The inner circle of 30 men are with him. Joab, his commander-in-chief, is there. Joab is a man that will fight to the finish. He's loyal to David, and he loves David. You want a man like Joab on your side when there's a battle that's going to take place. Then there's Benaiah. He's David's friend from his youth. Benaiah killed a lion in his youth, ripped his jaws apart. Literally, quick silver flowed in his veins. He was fearless in the day of battle. He had courage like none other. This is a man that was a warrior. Then there's Abishai. Abishai killed 300 men in one hand-to-hand -hand combat with one sword. These men were not afraid of controversy and conflict. They were not wallflowers. And the reason why I tell you that because when you get into a fight for your spiritual life, for your emotional life, for your, for your children, for your family, for your finances, for your business, you don't want weak need, limp-wristed Christians around you that are half interested, merely interested, one foot in the world, one foot out of the world, one foot over here, I'm going to go over here, no, I'm going to go over there. You want people who are not intimidated, they're down for life with you, come hell or high water, They'll pray and stay the course. We live in a society today that just kind of throws everything aside. Well, I don't like this and I don't like that, so I'm just going to let go. No, no you've got to have people around you when you're in a spiritual fight for your life. They're going to stay the course. I can see the sentry on the ridge. His eyes are peeled toward Gilead. Gilead is where Absalom has gathered 30,000 men that want his death. Absalom has also gathered another. This guy's name is Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's chief counselor. Ahithophel was David's closest friend. Everything that Ahithophel had, David got him a job. His political existence, his financial uh, abundance, all of that was a result of David. And the prosperity in Ahithophel's life was a result of David. But guess what? He turned against David. And now he's helping Absalom telling Absalom about David's strengths and his weaknesses. So what did David do? 
in the day of his life that was the darkest moment, what did he do? And when you get to the worst day of your life, what should you do? It's really the foundation of why Oasis Church exists. And David gives us a foundational pillar. And you're going to hear as these, as these days go on and the Lord tarries and doesn't take us to heaven. So if we're here, we're going to win souls and get people to heaven. But these are foundational pillars of Oasis Church, but foundational pillars of you and your family. And if they're not, they should be. And if they're not, they should be. Look at the first thing that David does to get to this victory. He says, to, he cries out to God for help. What he literally says is, hear me when I call, O God of my salvation. Hear me when I call, O God of my salvation. What's he doing? He's talking about that deliverance. That's why this is so important that when you, when you find God, you find freedom. You literally find salvation. Salvation just doesn't mean coming to Christ. The Greek word is sozo. It's pronounced some different ways. People will pronounce it different ways. But it's really about deliverance, healing, preservation, soundness, safety, and deliverance. Sozo is important because that's what David is calling out for. He's calling out for deliverance. He's calling out to God for salvation, for God to bring him to a place of safety and protection and freedom and deliverance. Hear me when I call, O God, of my salvation. You know, you can live life and kind of be philosophical. You can be blasé. You can be laid back. You can be kind of nonchalant when, when you call on God until it's you that gets into a fight. You won't be laid back when it's your child fighting for their life. You won't be laid back when in, you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And you're praying and interceding and fasting and asking God to bring forth the miracle. When it's your future that's hanging by a thread. When it's no longer blasé anymore to just kind of play religious games. You're going to get serious about it. When it's a fight for your survival. When it's a fight for your marriage. When it's a fight for your child's health. When it's a fight for your mental well-being. Your financial survival. A fight that will determine the destiny of your life. What will you do? You do what David did. You cry out to God for salvation. Oh, God, hear me when I call, oh, God, of my salvation. And that's really what Oasis Church is here and exists for. That's what all of our outreaches exist for. That's what we're going to be doing when we get an apartment building for women and children exists for. All the things that God has done and put on our hearts. The first foundational pillar is find salvation. When you find salvation, we know who salvation is. It's not something, it is someone. His name is Jesus. Help me preach this this morning. When you find Jesus, you find freedom. Because once you find salvation, you start to find freedom. And once you find freedom, then guess what happens? You discover you got a purpose. So think about the foundational pillars of Oasis Church that we exist so people can find salvation, to find Jesus. How have we done it? By igniting hope. When you ignite hope in people, you let them know that you have found salvation. You are working toward your freedom. You are discovering your purpose. Because I don't think purpose is a one-time, one-stop shop. I don't think that at all. When I got saved out of a, a, a crazy environment, I got saved and I was radically transformed on May 18, 1997, and I had never thought in my wildest dreams that God would use me to speak into people's lives. Last Sunday, I was preaching in Santa Cruz, 
and a, and a chief of police that I had, I had led in the baptism of the Holy Spirit over 20 years ago was in the front row and says, Joey, do you remember the night where you, an ex-gang member, a two-time convicted felon, laid your hands on me and that the baptism of the Holy Spirit hit me, a chief of police, and I was gloriously filled? What happened? You would have never known that when you first give your life and find salvation. But what happens is you start living in freedom. And once you start living in freedom, you discover you have a purpose and it ignites hope. And hope makes the difference. Hope makes the difference. And that's so important because it's, it's the difference with calling on God with intensity or kind of being nonchalant about your prayer. It's really reflected in this story. Two men were fishing on the riverbank. And as they were fishing, one fell into the deep water. And as he fell into the deep water, he began to cry with intensity. Oh, God, help me. Help me, anybody. I can't swim. Help me. Help me. A guy fishing on the bank said, what you so excited about? I can't swim either, but I'm not all up in arms about it. What's the point? He wasn't in the deep water. When you get into the deep water, when you really realize that it's no longer about religious games, it's no longer about dipping your toe in and then kind of taking it out. No, when a rock falls on you, when you've lived your life and you've literally been on your own since you were 11 like me and, you've, and you have no father, you have no mother, you have no upbringing, You've been abused and abandoned, and, you're, and you hear about something that you've never heard before. I've never heard it before. You say, well, Joey, that's not, I've never heard it before. Even when I was incarcerated as a youth, I never went to chapel or anything because I thought it was weak, and I thought you were a sissy if you did stuff like that. But here I am, 22-year-old man. I've, I've lived my life. I thought I'd be dead or in prison, but I found salvation. I found it in Jesus, and he touched me, and he changed me. And I was gloriously now finding freedom in that. And as I was finding freedom because I was in the deep water, I discovered that I had a purpose. Do you know that I shouldn't even be up here talking to you this morning? There's nothing in me that has a DNA to minister and preach the gospel. My daddy, when he was alive, he used to say when he'd come over to the other services, he'd cry, he'd come after those services, said, son, I never heard anybody preach like that. He says, they don't realize where you've come from and what you are, that that call is God's call, and only God can give that call to somebody like you. What's the point? Many people, they have all these great gifts, these great talents. They have all this stuff inside of them, and they never unlock it because they don't realize they can't give what they don't have. And they don't realize that God wants to do something in them and through them, but ignite something for someone else. The favor of God is so important because that favor can rub off on other people. You need to learn that when you give out hope, it's, it's receptive. it comes back to you. It comes back to you. There's a difference. You know, some of the best prayers that I've ever prayed, you know how they go like? They don't go in a, in a King James. Not at all. They go, help! Oh, God, help! Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that before? That's the best prayers we can pray. David writes these words, hear me in my distress, oh God. Hear me in my distress. I was in distress. Distress here in the Hebrew reflects great pressure. Now catch this because this is important. Great pressure. How many of you know pressure makes us do strange things? How many of you have ever done strange things because of pressure? 
Some of you married somebody because of pressure. <laughs> pressure will make you do strange things. David is under great pressure. There's an army of 30,000. They want him dead. That army's led by his son. His dearest friend Ahithophel has turned on him and betrayed him. And now he's joined forces with his son and wants him dead. Pressure. Think about parents in this room, grandparents, the pressure that we're living in in this day and age, the pressure of having so much activity and access to so many things. It's like a bombardment of activity, the pressure of work. Can I make my house note? Can I provide? Do I have to work all the days of my life? Will I ever get to retire? The pressure when we have children, raising them up in the things of God, raising them, sending them off to public school when there's bullying and violence, and, and, and now we've got people running in schools with, with guns and hurting people, this pressure of trying to live right when we're bombarded with a, a, a one evil, vile, perverted thing after another that we get so desensitized to it. We don't even realize that what makes the use us blush, now we don't even look twice at anymore. We don't even look away at anymore because we're living in a society that's a constant onslaught of one thing after another, after another. The pressure's on. The pressure is on that should keep every believer in constant prayer, every believer down on their knees realizing that there's a fight to be fought and then we are in this fight whether we want to or not and the scriptures say fight the good fight of faith. Fight it. You're going to fight the fight whether you want to fight it or not. So why don't you go ahead and fight the good fight of faith? I'm talking about the pressures that we live in. The pressures that we're living in, sometimes they can be overwhelming. Well, now we have Christians having the same issues that the world has and, and the issues of, of this society and that society. Why? Because we've let the pressure overtake us. But the Bible tells us, if my people who are called by my name. Did you hear that? God wants to hear from you. He doesn't want to hear from Washington or ungodly people. He wants to hear from his people. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal their land. Psalms 145 verse 18. Catch this. The Lord is near to those who call upon him. All who call upon him in truth. Psalms 50 verse 15. 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. How about Isaiah 65, 24? This is the best one. You ought to put this one on your refrigerator because God knows you go there enough. Isaiah 65, 24. And it shall come to pass that while they're yet speaking, I will hear. And before they call, I will answer. I love that scripture because God says the moment you open up your mouth like liquid lightning, I'm bringing the answer. You you may not see an answer coming, but the moment you opened up your mouth and gave me praise, the moment you opened up your mouth and told me I was good and my mercy endures forever. Does anybody want to listen to the things of God? The moment you opened up your mouth and began to declare that I am your shield and I'm your buckler and I'm your high tower, I'm your defender. The moment you opened up your mouth and said, God, I can't, but you can. That's where I sent the answer. That's where the miracle came. That's where the miracle healing comes. That's where the financial breakthrough comes. Church, put your hands together and thank God for his answers that come our way. David presses the issue. He says, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You know, the beautiful thing about the Hebrew language is that it has two to three different meanings per word. 
That's what's wonderful about God's word. It's ever evolving into greater things. You can look at it a certain way. You can go a little deeper or you can go a little deeper. That's the wonderful thing about the Hebrew language. And here's what he says. He says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Righteousness in the Hebrew means vindication. How many of you would like God to vindicate you? Oh, some of you just, you just I, I, I don't know. If I, I, I'll be in heaven 30 minutes before I start enjoying myself. No, no. Let's say it over here Stockton style. How many of you, come on, get it, get it, get it. You, you're from this. How many of you would like God to vindicate you? Oh, yeah. Come on. I know where, I know where we live. I know the society we live in. Oh, God, give them over to Jesus. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And God to vindicate that thing. How many of you, want? we all want that. And God may not vindicate you by 5 o'clock on Friday, but he will vindicate you. Because God's delays are never God's denials. That's so important to know. Did God vindicate people in the scriptures? Absolutely. In the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph was vindicated by God. Joseph knew that God had a plan for him and a place for him. And God had a purpose for him. Again, going back to those pillars, God, through Joseph, changed the known world. But Joseph had to go through 13 years of one calamity after another. I say that because some of you sit here and you think, I've had calamity. I've had trials. I've had illness. I've had separation. I've had this. I've had that. I've had that. So God doesn't want to use me to ignite anything. And I'm telling you, you're dead wrong. There's ways to ignite hope that only God's called you to do. There's ways to ignite hope that only God has called you to do. I think about the men and women that are here. Some of you are here that I think about our wonderful families here that are, that are in the real estate business, the entrepreneur spirits. God's igniting hope in them to, to give people great great service and great homes. I think about Octavio's. When you, when you drive by on I-5, the, the three crosses are there. Why? Because Octavio is igniting hope before they ever get into the door. Igniting hope no matter what you do. Recently, I was at the, one of those big department stores where, you know, they, uh, I don't want to name it, but, you know, is the, where you, you get all the stuff for your, for your house, and it was one of those. And so I was getting uh, stuff because we had a, a rat infestation. So I'm like, gross. So I'm buying other rats. I'm going to kill the rats. I'm going to get this stuff for rats. So, oh, this is a million dollars. It doesn't matter. Those rats will die. So I'm like, anybody know where the flamethrowers are? <laughs> These rats must die today. So I'm buying all the stuff to kill the rats in, at the house. And so I'm getting it. So I go out to my my truck, I get in, and there's these two elderly Hispanic women, and they've got a huge pile of, of, of these, you know, uh, ground cover, like six or seven, and they got this tiny little car. And so I was thinking to myself, I'm going to ignite hope in them. So I start walking over, and they go, oh, da -da! And I go, oh, no, 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 me help, me help. You know, I don't speak Spanish that well, and uh, the one elderly lady looked to the other, and I, I started helping them get in the car, and I got them in the trunk, and then I had to get them in the back seat, and I heard one say to the other, because I can understand a little bit of Spanish, and the one says, uh, the one is going, uh, grande huero, grande huero, and so, and then the other one goes, muy guapo, <laughs> so I smile, and I, that means he's handsome, that's what guapo means, it means he's handsome. So I, so I put them in, and, I, and then the car, and I had to put them in the back seat. I put them in the front. And so I said, Dios te bendiga. God bless you. 
And they go, oh, God bless you. And, you know, they gave me the, the, the what that means I'm down. I'm got it. <laughs> so what was happening? I was doing my part to ignite hope. You know, that big guy didn't scare us. He helped us. And there's something about igniting hope that even though you think, well, I'm not qualified. It's something as simple as that. Something as simple as blessing somebody. You know, if somebody's favored of God, can I encourage you? You should learn to bless them. You say, well, they don't need anything. That's the greatest blessing sometimes you can give is somebody that don't need anything. I, I did a funeral, and it just touched my heart Friday afternoon. And Brother Pablo and Cano, they do such a great job over there. And Raquel, the families were over there. And, and so the place was packed. I do a funeral, and I, I let, them, let Jesus have it and let them have Jesus. So I get to the end, and, man, it just encouraged me. Hey, Joe, and many people were responding to how, how, they, how, they, how they were just touched by the message that you gave. Then I got a text from two of the church members. Joey, I want you to know my best friend gave his heart to the Lord in that service that you just provided. What did it do? It ignited hope. You say, well, Joey, you don't need hope. I need it more than any of you. You say, well, what do you, you, you got to realize if you're the one that's giving it out, you're the one that needs it the most. Because you're given, 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 given. And guess what? You need to give it back. You need that back. It's important to know. Because what was intended to tear you apart, God intended to set you apart. And it took me a lot of years to know that. That's not a, a slogan that, that I heard somebody say. Because the enemy meant to tear me apart. Tear my life apart. Tear my home apart. Tear me apart. I should be dead or in prison. And the enemy meant to tear me apart. And God says, I'm going to use everything that was meant to tear you apart to set you apart. And that's why you build things like the Lord Jim City Center. Show me a church that's built anything in this community in the last 20 years of significance. I'm not knocking them. I'm just telling you. Sometimes it takes a continuation school dropout to show how the kingdom of God needs to function. My point is, sometimes... We can get so shrunk back by what we don't have, by what we're missing, by what we didn't get, by who wasn't there for us, by who the Ahithophels were who betrayed us. Broken people will break on you. It happened to everybody. It happened to David. It happened to Jesus. It happens to Paul. And it's happened to you and it's happened to me. They break. And then they say all manner of evil about you. You can either let it get on the inside of you or you can say, it's not going to stop me from igniting hope. It's not going to stop me from loving. It's not going to stop me from caring. The circumstances don't control you. You control the circumstances. It's important for you to know that. And listen, as we close, God can turn this thing around suddenly. Suddenly. You look at that scripture over and over in the Bible, suddenly it's there. It appears suddenly, suddenly. In one day, Joseph went from the pit, uh, pit to the palace. God did it suddenly. He went from the jailhouse to the penthouse. He did it suddenly. He went from the dungeon to the diadem. He did it suddenly. He went from prisoner to prime minister, and God did it suddenly. I tell you that because whether you're a king, queen, president, pauper, the day will come, and it comes to everybody. You'll have an enemy. An enemy that will defame you, that will defraud you, an enemy that will lie about you, that will turn the best friends against you as a Hithophel. They'll try to bring you financial harm. So what do you do? 
You, you do what David did. You cry out to God for vindication. That's what David did, and that's what you and I need to do. You, Lord God, you vindicated Joseph. You vindicated Daniel. You vindicated David. Vindicate me, O God, of my righteousness. Bring my enemies into confusion. They may have come in one way, but they're going to have to go out seven ways, and the enemy's going to have to give back sevenfold what he's taken from me and from my family. You are the victory, and you are my arm and my shield. You are the strength of my my life of whom shall I be afraid though an army may camp about me and the war may rise against me and this I'll be confident in the time of trouble help me preach it in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion of the secret place of the tabernacle he shall hide me because he is the God of all hope can we put our hands together and thank God for that today